Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. All right, John chapter 15. Turn there in your Bibles, if you will, or you can follow along with the scriptures up on the screen. Uh, You know, if you spend very much time in the red in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it'll change your life. It will have an impact because the words of Christ, they are powerful, beautiful, sweet, tough, convicting, challenging. What other words? Because always life. There, there is such meat in the simplicity of the gospel. And and when you spend time meditating over and over and over and saying, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what the disciples needed revealed to them 2,000 years ago. They were walking with Jesus and Jesus said things like, I'll read it in this chapter, actually. Um, he'll, he'll say, uh, I'm not going to talk to you all much more about this because you all don't get it. That's the paraphrase version. How about you? Have you ever read something you realized you didn't get it? And then you read it again and again and again. And, you know, at some point, Holy Spirit, like, turns the light on for you. And you go, that was so simple. <laughs> it wasn't simple when you weren't getting it. But, but there's life in it. And so as we have been, you know, I've kind of uh, humored myself in this title. You know, it's a deep title. Uh, the, the first four weeks was Jesus said. And then I just figured as we went into chapter 15 and Jesus said some other things. So uh, we're there. And, and next week I'm actually going to start and finish chapter 16 as we get ready for reach week. So I'm thinking I'll say, and Jesus said also. We'll just keep it going, just add a word to it, because uh, you, you don't need much of a title when you're preaching Jesus. Amen? So let's jump into this. We're going to start in verse 18. We went through verse 1 through 17, uh, the actual, the last two weeks that I preached. And uh, follow along with this, beginning with verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Do you get that? But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. As believers, we ought to get over feeling sorry for ourselves when the world hates us. Amen? Because if they don't hate us, guess what? (laughs) We're probably not of him. He promised us things that, some things he promises we love. We like, whoo, yeah, that one's mine. Prosperity, that's mine. Faith for healing, that's mine. Persecution, that's for Pastor George. But he gave us all these promises, and one of the promises, if we love him and obey him, we will be hated 
by the world. And in some nations of the world, and you guys hear me talk, reference a lot. Um, I read a lot about the persecuted church. I read a lot out of Voice of the Martyrs magazine where, you know, um, America is one of the few nations left today where Christians are not giving their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've said before, part of our great, I think, tribulation or struggle in America is not that we might lose our life. It's that we might still love Jesus with all of our heart as he blesses us with more stuff. One of the great battles we have in America is our stuff. We worship it. We, we, we put other things before God and his house. The house of God ought to be the most important thing in the world. And if some of you parents wonder if it is to you, ask your kids. Because if everything else is more important and we go to church when we don't have those other things, then our kids will tell the tale. That ought not to put us under condemnation. It ought to convict us <laughs> to change whatever we got to change. To make sure that the house of God, worship in the house of God, prayer in the house of God, the word of God in the house of God becomes vital because without it, our children will not make it. And they'll become statistics of another fallen generation of kids that were raised in the house of God but never knew God. Man, as parents, you need to be talking to your children because they grow up really fast. I mean, so, some of the kids that are graduating high school, uh, it was like yesterday I dedicated them. They were up here puking on my jacket while I was dedicating them, you know. I was with Pastor Savin this week. Um, we spent four days together talking kingdom and having a, just a great and awesome time. We also played golf twice. But uh, we, we were just uh, um, talking about all the things that the Lord has done in our lives, through our lives, um, the things we have in our heart for the future. And, and today, uh, I, I actually got to have lunch with Savin and Katie before Savin and I flew out Monday. And, and Katie, just bubbling over, was telling me how now all three of her sons have come back to Christ, are living for Jesus 100%, walking with God, no longer being the stupid, you know, and, and really committing their lives. And was sharing with me how uh, Scotty and Maria, how they make decisions that they won't make a decision without prayer. And, and whenever there's a contradiction, even, you know, Scotty's a professional basketball player uh, overseas. And, and when they, when his team and the general manager came, Came down and said, you have to do this. Scotty and Maria said, no, we're, we're not doing that. We have, we have a conviction against that. And, and they said, well, it could cost you your $1.7 million contract. Scotty said, we're still not going to do it. I'm like, wow, that's not the Scotty I knew that played for University of Florida. But boy, when you come back to Christ and all of a sudden, the things that matter most matter most, the kingdom of God. And Katie and I were sitting there, and I was just bubbling over. I said, Katie, there's no greater joy that a parent would have that her kids love Jesus with all their heart. And they can grow up in the house of God, and even if they stray for a little while, the promise of God's Word is if you taught them well, I'm not talking about just taking them somewhere. I'm talking about teaching them well, training them. 
they, the promise of God's word is they will come back to life. How, how long can you just follow after death? Eventually you wake up and go, I want the life of God. And that, that should be the hope of every parent in here. So verse 19, if you were of the world, verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Let me just pause there and ask a question. Who is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about total unbelievers or is he talking about the religious world? He's talking about the religious. He's talking about the, the religion that was dominant in his society. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the other C's. He said, because they hated me, wow, they hated my father. And see, the one thing about all those religious people, they believed they were God worshipers. They did not acknowledge or recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Even though he did all the works, laid out, I mean, he, 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 he did every kind of miracle that we would love to be seeing right now in America. I mean, he opened blind eyes, caused, caused deaf ears to hear, caused lame people to walk, lepers became cleansed, dead people rose from the dead, and hungry people were fed. And then on top of that, he preached Matthew chapter 5 and 6, the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest poetic, romantic, powerful, truth-seeking word that he ever spoke. And for those of you that have watched The Chosen, I, I don't know what your favorite parts, but, but Jesus hanging out with Matthew, going over this message that he was going to deliver. I, I mean, I, be, before I watched that movie, I never considered that Jesus did anything but just walked out and boom, 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 it just all came out. But that he spent all this time in prayer preparing his heart and his mind for what he was going to say, and not only for what he was going to say, but how he was going to say it. That, that, that's pretty intriguing to me. Because you, you're, you're thinking Jesus, the Son of God, but Jesus was also the Son of Man, and he was ministering as the Son of Man with great anointing and great power. And, and he meditated on all these scriptures that that when you just read Matthew chapter, when you just read the Sermon on the Mount, it just makes you stop and go, wow, can I do half of that? I mean, talking about forget how difficult the, the law is, but can I just, can I just live in, in victory in half of what Jesus is saying here? Because it's so powerful. It's profound. And yet, he said that the religious of his day hated him, but they also hated his father. 
Verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be in, in their law. Did you catch that? But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. You ever had somebody hate you without a cause? <laughs> At least you thought it, you didn't have a cause for them to hate you, but they hated you anyhow. Or strongly dislike. How many of you have had somebody strongly dislike you? Let me see your hand. Wow, the rest of you are amazing. Y'all must be like perfect people. We'll, we'll have all of y'all come up front at the end and we'll let y'all lay hands on the rest of us. Man, I've had some people dislike me. But when the helper, verse 26, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I'm going to read a few verses in John chapter 16. I've said all these things, verse 1, to you to keep you from falling away. I've shared these things. He's saying to his disciples, I've shared these because I don't want you to fall away. I want you to meditate on the life of this word. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever even kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour, when their hour comes, you, re, you may remember that I told them to you. The truth of God's word has the ability to set us free. When we make a decision that by that word, I'm going to live. I'm going to set my tent stakes in the place of God's word. No matter how difficult it is, no, no matter how much my flesh doesn't like it, I'm going to position myself to say, whatever God says, and you have to think about this. John, you know, back in John 14, when we started this, uh, we started with, with this verse uh, that talked about being um, heavy burdened or being troubled. And he gives us this promise that if we do certain things, that we have the ability to overcome that spirit of heaviness or that trouble. I, I can promise you this. If you spend 15 minutes watching The news, trying to find a better word for that. The lies that most news agencies spit out. You will find yourself heavy burdened and distressed. It doesn't give you a lot of hope, not even for America. I mean, if you listen to stuff that's coming out, you know, Everything that's bad is about to get worse. I read one article this morning, and it's funny. Everything goes back to money. I was reading this one article uh, early this morning after I'd finished my devotions, and, uh, and it was talking about how bad it's about to get in the grocery store. Like, bad? <laughs> it's already bad. <laughs> but 
But this article they're writing and saying, you got to make sure you're buying the right food. You got to make sure you're buying the foods that you can put away and you get to take care. Of course, then it goes into them selling you their survival food. <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, I'm not there. Because I know I can go to the water and catch a fish. And that's pretty much better than any survival meal I ever ate. How many military people we got in the house? How many of y'all had some of those meals? I'll take a fresh grouper. I don't know. I, I might even be persuaded to eat a catfish. Probably not, but catfish, survival meal. Now, for those of you that have your cabinets full of survival meals, don't be casting stones at me especially if you haven't tried them yet. <laughs> you might want to eat one before you buy any more. But the bottom line is, you know what? God's word hasn't changed. He's still Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He, his, his word, it's still, every promise is still there. And so no matter how bad it gets, and, and it's way worse in many nations of the world than what we're hearing today, but but then again, we're not used to, uh, in this generation, living without the things we want. So gas has gone from two years ago, just under $2 a gallon, to $5 a gallon here, $7 a gallon in California. And they're saying it's going to go up higher. Well, I don't know if you've been out on the highway lately, but it doesn't seem like anybody's slowing down driving. Now, you might be spending your savings to buy your gas, but you're still driving. I heard Disney World lines are still out of the Yahoo. I mean, just got to get in line at a hundred and something bucks a day, $18 for a Coca-Cola or whatever it is. Oh, I think I read it was $18 for a beer at Atlanta Braves baseball stadium. I read that yesterday. That's a good time to stop drinking beer, I guess. $18. Could you imagine if you paid $18 for a gallon of gas, you'd be, you'd be ready to take up arms. But there are things that are happening in our society that we have to go back to the Word of God and let that be our strength and our confidence. But the Word, verse 25, that is written in their law must be fulfilled. It, it must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And then I love how he just throws this, the only scripture in this whole chapter where he talks about the Holy Spirit. 14 full of the Holy Spirit, 16 you'll see next week. I'm going to preach that as we get ready for reach week the, that week um, because it's so powerful and the necessity. But when he talks about the Holy Spirit here, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, one whole point he was making here, he will bear witness about me. Church, hear me. We are called to be a witness in this world that we're living in. Right here in America, we are called to be a witness to those who are hurting. And people are hurting in our world. People are hurting in the grocery store. They're hurting at the gas station. They're hurting at the restaurant. They're hurting at work. Wherever they are, there are things going on. And we are called to be a light that shines. 
so that what we do in, a, in another week, in reach week, spending a, a whole week in our community trying to show unconditional love, love without limits. We're trying to reach out and just let people know that Jesus loves them in every kind of fashion, form, or way possible. That's also what we're called to do 365 days out of the year, not one week during reach week. And I pray that our Reach Week um, outreach will simply be a, a, a greater expression because many are taking off work and some are taking a day off or a week off to gather to, to uh, show the love of God and touch in a significant way, just like if you were going to go on a missions trip. Take a week off, you, you uh, count the cost, you pay the amount that, that you need to pay to, to be able to go on something, to experience something like that. But we're going to do it here in our local city in a way that hopefully when it's all done, we come out of that going, you know what, tomorrow, wherever I go, I can be a witness. Whether it's the gas station or at work or the park or the ball field or in my neighborhood, there are people that are hurting and we can't do it just out of religious obligation. We do it because we're full of the Holy Spirit of God. The helper has come to help us. He's come to help. He's come to enlighten. He's come to share the things that we have need to know. And it says, and you also will bear witnesses because you have been with me. Now, to the disciples, he said, because you've been with me from the beginning, but hear me. He was not depending upon the outward reality that in that very moment they were with him because he had already declared they weren't getting it and without the Holy Spirit would never fulfill the very plan that God had called for them to do. So when we read this, it's not less to us because it says you've been with me from the beginning because for us, we've been with Christ from the beginning of the moment he came into our life and became Lord and Savior. And he didn't save us just so we could go to heaven. Seven of you agree with that. He didn't save us just so we would go to heaven. Amen. Amen. We are called for such a time as this to give our life to something that has purpose. I used to say there's nothing wrong with going to work at McDonald's and flipping burgers. Just have a greater vision to own that McDonald's one day. Amen? Because God has anointed us for such a time as this to be about his business, to touch lives. Hurting people that desperately need Jesus to be Lord of their lives. He said, in verse 1 of the next chapter 16, he said, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, I want to tell you, one of the reasons we desperately need, this week, Savin and I together, I was asked by someone about the Holy Spirit. Did we believe in the Holy Spirit? Did I believe in the Holy Spirit? And it, it, was, it was so joyful, not with arrogance, but with an incredible sense of without the Holy Spirit, I'm dead. I'm done. I couldn't make it through 24 hours without the Holy Spirit in my life. So then you're asked, well, are you Pentecostal or charismatic? 
charismaniac. People ask, you all, ask me all the time, what kind of church do you have? I told a lady the other day at the airport, she, she, was, she was super sweet and had a lot of questions, but she said, so, so what kind of church is it? I said, it's a church that loves Jesus and hates the devil. And she's like, okay, but, but what kind of church is it? Hmm. It's a church that loves Jesus and hates the devil. See, I wasn't about to give her the answer she wanted because that immediately puts you in this little bowl. You're Baptist, you're Nazarene, you're Assembly of God, you're Catholic, you're Pentecostal, you're Charismatic. How about I'm a Christian? I was reading Acts this week where it, it, the city where they first started calling Christ followers Christians. And I meditated on that for a little bit, thinking that's pretty cool that their behavior, they were named and framed. Who knows? Maybe it was an unbeliever that said, well, you're a Christ follower, you're a Christ, you're, you're a Christian. And that has stuck for 2,200 years. That you're a Christian, why? Because you follow Christ. Because he is Lord of your life. And you now have a purpose and a plan in which to fulfill the fact that God loved you so much. For every person in this room that has already received Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you received him because he chose you before you chose him. Before you pursued him, he pursued you. And he was knocking on your heart's door. Some of you came to Christ in a church service like this. Some of you came to Christ at home. Some of you uh, were riding down the road in a car listening to somebody on the radio and came to a revelation and, and asked Jesus to be Lord of your... It doesn't matter where you did it. At some point, if you're following Christ today, you made a decision that said, Lord, be Lord of my life. Therefore, I surrender everything. I am no longer Lord of my life. I am no longer control of my life. Boy, it's a wonderful way to live. It's a wonderful place to live when your life is surrendered to Christ. And whatever you do, it's because you're following in obedience to his word for your life. Which is ultimately to fulfill the purpose and plan of God that he has for you. How many of you believe that God created you with a purpose? Let me see your hand. You believe that you're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You are the redeemed of the Lord, and he has something for you to do. You know, oftentimes when I think about my dad, I am so grateful of the mercy of God in my father's life because they went to church their whole life, my dad and my mom. But as a child growing up in their home, I never saw Christ in them. Church was a thing that we did. It's where you went on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and every summer, the two-week revival. But in the midst of all of that, my dad was a gambler. My dad and mom married and divorced more times than we could count. 
We're still confused about it. Some say three, some say four. My dad couldn't even remember the last time we talked. But my dad lived to 95 before he surrendered everything to Jesus. Everything. I don't even want to live to 95. I got a revelation of that when he turned 95. I was like, yeah. Now, Lord, whenever I'm done preaching, take me home. I'm good with it. I don't want to live so long that somebody else has got to wipe my behind and feed me with a spoon. But my dad did. And I'm grateful that he did because in those last four and a half years of his life, dad surrendered everything. Got a purpose with one little quarter and a vision to help buy Bibles for Cuba. My dad got a vision that kept him alive for four years and eight months, nine months, three months, four years, three months. He died at 99 years and three months. After playing bingo, <laughs> playing bingo at the old folks' home, there was no gambling involved. When he won, he got a quarter. My dad won a lot of games and bought almost 600 Bibles over four years. Well, what happened was when all the little old ladies began to find out what my dad was doing with all those quarters, they started when they would win, they'd give him their quarters too. So he was winning everything, 100%. After he died, I said to the manager, the lady uh, who was a friend, uh, I mentioned to her how many Bibles my dad had bought for Cuba at $5.40 a Bible. 4, 8, 12, 16, 20, what is that? 22 22 quarters and a dime back. I think that's right. And I mentioned her, and she, she about blew a top. She's like, what? I didn't know anything about them winning quarters when they're playing bingo. <laughs> He's been winning quarters for five years. He, she said, well, well isn't so-and-so running that? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, where's she getting all those quarters? I don't know. I don't think they've been robbing any banks lately or anything, but this little lady that was as old as all the people that were there, she'd come in and run bingo three days a week, and she'd bring these rolls of quarters, and she would let the people that were her age light up when they would go, bingo! I played bingo recently with Suzanne and I with our grandkids. I do not like that game. Ain't no strategy in that game. I mean, you're sitting on all you need is one number. And your grandkids, they need like seven. And they still won. I'm like, this is a stupid game. No strategy in this. Just roll the dice and hope. But my dad got a, a purpose. And my dad, who was always afraid of death, died in peace because those last five years because I'd catch my dad praying in the spirit 
I'd catch my dad. I'd say, Dad, what have you been doing today? Oh, I just strolled, strolled around in my wheelchair and went and visited some of my friends to encourage them, to pray for them. Like, wow. See, my dad had a call of God on his life as a young man. But because of gambling and foolishness, he walked away from it. And it cost his kids, siblings, sin that was rampant in our family, divorce rampant in our family. Because of it, Suzanne and I, when we got married, we made a decision. The word divorce did not exist, would not exist. Took a dictionary, cut the word divorce out, doesn't exist. So all we have left is live together happy, live together miserable, or kill each other. <laughs> divorce wasn't an option, murder was, but. <laughs> Thank God we never murdered each other. We have lived together really happy, and we have lived together miserably. I mean, one time my wife said, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> well, I didn't know you had liked me for a while now. <laughs> a couple of years ago, after I first got diagnosed in this battle that I'm walking through, and we were out in Little Rock, she said to me, you're no fun when you don't feel good. You're mean. <laughs> well, she was right. And I felt horrible that I was mean. But I was mean <laughs> until, well, until I felt better. <laughs> Baby, have you forgiven me? Did you forgive me for, for that? She forgave me because this morning she had her arm around me during worship. She was rubbing my back, and I knew she was just singing that song of faith and belief over me. Because... If you keep Jesus first, no matter what you walk through in life, in marriage, in relationships, God will help us because his Holy Spirit has been given to us freely to fulfill the very purpose and plans of God. The Holy Spirit, we need to be desperate for. I want to ask the worship team to come on. We're going to finish couple minutes early, but I, I want the worship team up here because we're going to worship and pray and minister some in a couple of minutes. But the Holy Spirit of God, whether you consider yourself a charismatic, a Pentecostal, a Christian, a Baptist, a Nazarene, Assembly of God, a Catholic, what matters is a personal relationship with the Jesus of the red in our Bible that goes beyond religion to where in John chapter 17, if we get there in a few weeks, I love Jesus' prayer that's recorded, the last recorded prayer of Christ, and Jesus prays, and he says, Father, that they may know you as I know you, but he also says that to know you is eternal life. So we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to enjoy the fullness of what God has for us on this earth today. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit will do a lot of things for you. One, it will help you to have faith 
that's beyond natural faith. It'll also help you to be obedient to God's word, which the word obedience, and I don't even have time to, to even barely touch on that because you can spend an hour talking about obedience. Every one of us in here have had ups and downs in our lives and almost all of them have to do with either a lack of obedience, disobedience, or in those seasons of obedience when we've seen God do significant things in our life. The enemy wants to still kill and destroy. He wants to come and do, bring whatever havoc he needs in your life to get you to not be obedient to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, which is why we so desperately need to release the Holy Spirit in our life. We don't have to continue. Once we've received the Holy Spirit, we don't have to continue to ask for the Holy Spirit to come. He's already come. He's not leaving you. He's not rejecting you. He's come to teach you, to help you, to encourage you, to tell you things you need to know, to strengthen you in the ability to give you the truth that if you're willing to walk out, see, he'll give you the truth. He won't make you walk it out. Wow, that's good. Holy Spirit comes to reveal the truth of God's Word. And then if your heart is, Lord, help me to walk this out, His grace is sufficient in your life. His grace will enable you to do whatever it is He's called you to do. Last week, man, I was hounding on the men about prayer and about raising your kids and all these things. Listen, guys, you, you can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are convicted that you need to be praying more for your family. And I'm not talking about a 30-second prayer over a meal or a 20-second prayer as your eyes are closing and saying, God, give me good sleep. But where we learn how to make intercession to save our children. Our sons and daughters are under attack. Who do they need standing in their corner? They need righteous fathers and mothers full of the Holy Spirit of God, willing to do battle for the sake of seeing my child saved. Because all hell's coming against your kids in all kind of forms. But we have been given the power, the grace, the anointing by the Holy Spirit to say, devil, you're not getting my kids. You're not getting my children. You're not getting my grandkids. You're not getting my spiritual kids. I pray over some of your children the same way I prayed over my children, especially when I see things that concern me. God, help us. Help us to impart and to do whatever they need to bring them back to that place of life in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit He's here today to help us, here today to encourage us, here today to strengthen us. He's here today to, some of you young married couples in this place, you got through the honeymoon and now welcome to life. Boy, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to help you men to love your wife the way Christ loves the church. And you, you ladies need the Holy Spirit in your life to help you to be the helpmeet that your husband needs. 
Can I tell you this? I mean, I know I use my wife a lot as an illustration, but she's the only wife I've ever had. And so I can't talk about y'all's wives, so I have to talk about her. But, but can I tell you, I would not be the man of God that I am today without her. I mean, the strength. I mean, and it's not because we always just, it's hunky-dory for it. No, we're both, she's gotten stronger the older she's gotten. She used to just be so sweet. Now she sweetly stands up. And I know it when I have pushed. But honestly, I look at my life from way back when I used to rob God with my tithe, how Holy Spirit used her in a way that he had never been able to use a preacher, a pulpiteer, a pastor, or a prophet. He used my wife. We're called to help each other. The Holy Spirit helps us, and our helping provides the ability for us to help each other, to be a helpmeet, a helpmate. Why? Because we desperately need to have marriages that glorify God, that the unsaved world would look at and be in awe, because they can't comprehend it. Long marriages today, I, it's amazing how many people in this church family have been married a long time. You can't go out into the world and find a couple hundred people and start going through and find people that have been married more than 10 or 15 years. They can be 15 years older than you. Rode with a man the other day, he's telling me all about his kids. Nine kids, wow. And so I started asking questions. Well, then when we finally got to the truth, well, I was married the first time for this many years and had four kids. And I've been married this many years now and I have this many kids. And I said, wow, that's, that's awesome. I said, is this one it? This one good? We're, we're not trading this one in? He said, oh no, this, this is a good one. 27 years, been married, five kids. I said, well, by the grace of God, my wife and I just celebrated 43 years and he almost jerked his neck off looking back, going, wow, I don't know anybody that's been married 43 years. There are people in here who have been married 50 years, 60 years, 65 years. Y'all are my heroes. This world needs some heroes. This world needs some people that have learned by the Holy Spirit that we can fight for each other instead of against each other. We can fight to save our marriage instead of fight to divide all the stuff we've collected in our worthless marriage. We can fight for each other. And there is a grace and a strength and a power to do it, to walk in it. So when you walk in Christ, know this, promise of God's word is, the world will hate you, get over it. Learn how to love them in their hatred. 
You see, because I, I think it's so interesting in verse 1 through 17 that we read last week, Jesus talked about those things, abide in me and love, and love unconditionally, love, love without limits. And he, and he talked about loving our neighbors and, and loving those who the Lord has brought into our lives. And then he comes down to verse 18 through 27, and he talks about the hatred that's going to come against us. And then in, in the... In, in one of the last verses, he says, but I command you to love one another. We're commanded. And with that command comes a grace. Amen? A grace to love. A grace to reach out to those who are hurting, to those who are lost. Not just our neighbor that we like, but the neighbors that we don't like. Anybody? No, never mind. We all have a neighbor. God's brought them into your life and listen to this. He trusts you to get your heart in a place where you can be a light to that person that is an enemy. He loves them as much as he loved you. And he's depending upon you to touch their life. Amen? We need the fresh touch of Holy Spirit continually in our lives. And as we do, we will not, we will not feel the need to let our decisions be based on emotions, but simply the word of the Lord. This is what God has called us to do this is what God has called us to be. Father, I pray over this word in our lives. That the work you're wanting to do in our city, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our schools, in the places that you have taken each and every one of us, that we will be completely dependent upon your Holy Spirit so that we can be about the Father's business. We were created for such a time as this. We're not an accident, we're not a mistake, but we are your sons and daughters, your children. And you have such a love for the lost hurting of this world. And so you saved us for a purpose. And a part of that purpose is to be a light in a dark world. I pray that we will shine when we walk out of here today. Shine with the presence of the Holy Spirit of God and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That our lives would be completely surrendered to you alone, Father God. With every head bowed for just a moment, please, believers in this room are praying. This morning, 
you're watching online or you're sitting in this room and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never invited him to be Lord of your life. You've never surrendered your heart to him today. The Lord is knocking at your heart's door. His desire is to be the Christ, the Savior of the Lord that you desperately need. His desire is to be the door to the Father, that you can know the one who created you and for what purpose he brought you into this world. But as much as Jesus loves you and as much as Jesus knocks at your door, Jesus will never violate your will or never force himself into your life. He simply has come with an invitation. If you'll open up your heart, I'll come in and be your Lord and Savior. If you don't know him today, you can. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to just lift up your hand. Let me recognize it. And then I'll lead you in a simple prayer. For those of you watching online, you can pray this prayer with us. Text, email, or call the office. We'll help you in the next steps. But here this morning in this room, Jesus loves you so much. And this is just a decision that you and you alone have to and get to make if you want him to be Lord of your life. And you want to know for what purpose you're living and what plans that God has for you, he will reveal. If that's you this morning, would you just simply lift up a hand and hold it until I can recognize it Yes, sir. God bless you. Who else this morning? This is your opportunity to invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. You can put it down once I see it. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Who else this morning? This is you today. Jesus loves you so much. Biggest decision you ever make in your life is this decision to surrender to the Lord. Anyone else today? You're ready to say, Lord, be Lord of my life. All right, I want to invite all of you to pray with me out loud this prayer. To those watching online, those in this room, pray this prayer in faith. Then afterwards, we'll tell you the simplicity of walking with Christ and help you make next steps to be the man or woman of God that God's called you to be. Pray this prayer with us this morning. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus, your son. I acknowledge today that I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I cannot save myself. So Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. I invite you to be my Lord. I confess my sin. I acknowledge it. I denounce it. And today I'm choosing you, Jesus, to be my Lord, my Savior, my King. I give you thanks, Father, for loving me, having mercy on my life. 
and bringing me to this place this day. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a praise this morning for his goodness and mercy. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.